the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred seven pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. Uh, well, uh, I'm not blonde, and I weigh a lot more than that, and I'm not wearing a dress. Um, and this also is not Andrea, but this is the Andrea K Show. Thank you very much for tuning in on this beautiful, kind of rainy Friday. I'm not sure what to think of the weather, but uh. I guess it's a nice break. Anyway, we're here with DJ Carrot Sticks, and we got the whole family here for you. And of course, this is AM 1170, The Answer San Diego, Riley McBride filling in for Andrea K tonight. Um, because Andrea, well, you know, she just, she called on me, and and, the, and I took the call. I answered. Um, because you guys know she's an incredibly hard worker, and uh, well, it's just so much fun to be here with you tonight. And we have a lot of good news to talk about. One of my things about politics in the news that's very difficult to, to deal with and to cope with is the fact that there's this overwhelming sense of negative energy that comes out of the press, that comes out of the media, that comes out of many of the most popular cable news pundits in this country. And I understand it because it's very frustrating You talk about all these different issues like what's going on on the border, what's going on with the economy, what's going on with the possible government shutdown. However... I think we all just need to take one deep breath together and really just try to think about these issues. Let's try to challenge ourselves to just sort of take the emotional flooding out of it for a moment and just think about things from a call, cool, level perspective and just see what happens. I'm curious, how, what would it be like to just talk about politics without blowing steam without losing our minds. Let's just keep our heads, okay? Cooler heads will prevail, and I firmly believe in that. So we're going to start actually with some good news coming right to you out of the city of San Diego. Beautiful, born and raised here myself. I, lo- I love San Diego. It's, it's a part of who I am. It's a part of my identity. And finally, Sandag has, quote, removed the controversial mileage tax from the 2025 transportation plan. DJ Sticks, what do you think about this? I mean, you're you're excited, right? I'm very excited. I was I was lubing up the chain on my bicycle, getting ready to <laughs> uh, you know start pe- pedaling my way to work. Uh, but no, I think this is a yeah, this is definitely a victory for the city of San Diego, and just shows that you know the, the, the craziness of you know what they're trying to do to to uh, the anti-car movement, I guess, that's out there. There is an anti-car movement out there, and it's a shame for those of us who really do love cars, especially classic cars, especially because Southern California has one of the best car scenes and car cultures, in my opinion, throughout the entire United States. Go travel around, okay? We have be- we have amazing people who live here, and they have some amazing cars and some real beauties, but I know it was going to be a low tax, maybe only $0.04 cents per mile after the year 2030. But that's how it starts. That's just the top of the slippery slope. And this is more so just about the fact that we actually do have power.
power, we have agency, and local government is supposed to be a reflection of the communities around it. The people of San Diego pushed back against this mileage tax incredibly hard, and it worked. That is the headline. Grassroots action from citizens actually moves the needle. That is the headline here. I think a lot of people, they get very depressed about politics. They give up and they sort of think, well, I'm only one person. I'm going to reduce my power because I'm just a singularity. But do not do that. Please do not do that. Refrain from the urge to, re- to minimize yourself and your agency and your impact on those around you. Because it starts with one. A movement starts with one person. And it gradually, incrementally evolves. And that's the conservative Edmund Burkean take on social change when it's good and when it's ordered toward what is right and what is just. And I believe this is a great example of it seems like a small a small victory, okay? Just a four cent tax per mile, but those little wins they build big momentum. And that is what I want to see. More momentum. I want to revitalize California politics. And it's just nice to see people speaking out. And again, I say this also as a native here, someone who's been born and raised and spent my entire life here. And I just, I I feel like a lot of people think maybe it's small, whatever. We've been, you know, so accustomed to so many taxes everywhere we turn. It just feels like we're getting squeezed. And especially when you start talking about Bidenomics, because the average household has lost between seven to $10,000 of purchasing power since his inauguration back in 2021. We are, we are being disenfranchised, and I do not say that lightly. And it's a shame because both sides of the aisle have spent the last 20 to 30 years sending jobs overseas, not caring about what goes on with people coming into the country, whether it's for a work visa or a student visa, which turns into a job later. And now Biden's out here saying we want companies to, to, get, the, to get access to workers, so we're going to bring people into the country. We're going to import people so that way businesses get workers. I know plenty of Americans, taxpayers, who've, who've paid into the system, who've been paying their dues, whose parents might have come here legally as migrants, who would love a great chance at a good-paying job with good benefits. This is all to say, we sort of hollowed out the middle class of America, and with it, you sort of see the death of the soul, and we can all feel that Bidenomics isn't working. So if we can get these little wins with local taxes and extra fees and charges in our life, we'll take it. We'll take it. So this is all to say, though, while we're just on this theme of, uh, well, you know, waste, spending, let's talk about the looming government shutdown. I don't necessarily, and DJ Sticks, I want to get your take on this, I don't necessarily know that a shutdown would be the worst way to go. I mean, I think a shutdown could be good. I can see both sides of this. Ideally, the government doesn't shut down, but also ideally, we aren't more than $33 trillion in debt after just one century of the Federal Reserve existing. So we're not really in an ideal situation any way that you slice it. There's just no way around it. Didn't, wasn't there, uh, how long ago was it since the last government shut down? Two was years. It, two years. Yeah. And it was kind of the same similar situation, right? Mm-hmm. And what was the outcome of that? Uh, they just passed a budget bill, basically, that funded the government for another two years, uh, which I think is likely going to happen. They have 11 days to do it. I don't know. It's a tight timeline, and they've been taking some short weeks here and there, and they took six weeks off during the summer, and we're about to go into another recess. So Kevin McCarthy is saying they don't have enough time to pull it off, but I think either way, what's most likely going to happen is some, you know, some bickering and fighting like we saw with the, the most recent spending bill where it actually got up to the wire and passed the Fed's X state, if you will, and McCarthy then, you know, agreed with Joe Biden on a, on a bill and they move forward. I think that's what's most likely going to happen because... 
the government would sooner go to nuclear war than basically put itself out of business or give up on on, on that. Um, and again, I don't want the government to shut down necessarily. Like, I don't like the idea of it. At the same time, you know, actions have consequences, and we've burned through so more than thirty-three trillion dollars in about one hundred years, thanks to reckless printing from the Fed and basically minimal oversight and little recourse on on the part of the people. This is a bipartisan issue multi-generational issue this goes across many different presidential administrations including this one and including the previous one and i'm sorry to say it because i'm a big trump guy but he spent a lot of money that we didn't have and that's a problem and we're seeing the exact same thing now this is sort of a systemic issue at this point for the economy because any way you slice it we're getting squeezed by record high inflation record high interest rates record high prices for food fuel clothing housing healthcare, education Everything, literally everything. And at the same time, the family unit's breaking down, so the government comes in and says, we'll do things like caretaking, which was usually performed by a family, traditionally, except we're going to charge you for it now. We'll come in and give you different social services, except we're going to charge you for it. We're going to commercialize something that used to be done for free by fellow community members back in the days of the Founding Fathers, when people really noticed that about America. It was all about the community. That was the point for for many of the founders it was not it was obviously about individual god-given rights but the people that protect god-given rights are strong knit communities that's really where it comes in and i feel like we're just not taking care of our own anymore and i think so much about the contrast between the america first kind of movement and what i think is really like the america last movement where we're just not being heard we're not being seen it doesn't feel like the people in power understand understand us it doesn't feel like many of the people in power know what it's like to be us and to struggle with the things like basic things putting food on the table keeping a roof over your head working multiple jobs just so that way you don't have to uh, uh you know uh, whatever it is sell your car sell your house sell everything that you have it's sad it is sad but again i do want to i just i want to come back to this idea of What's going to happen with a government shutdown, and what does it really mean? Because we see multiple of these at this point. We've seen maybe three in in less than 10 years. This is becoming something of a pattern, and it's a big red flag, and we can't just keep ignoring. So, look, fiscal responsibility, it's important for everybody. It's important for the government. It's important in your own life. Uh, It's an important thing. And obviously because there is no such thing as a free lunch, right? Econ 101. Nothing is free. Everything comes with a cost. That is how life works. It's all about analyzing cost and benefit. And that's why I'm trying to just take the emotion out of this issue and just look at government spending from a tactical perspective. What are we trying to do? What is the point of these taxes? Where is the money actually going? The same way they don't want to monitor the money that's going to Ukraine, they don't want to monitor your tax dollars and tell us where that money is going. Because we've spent all this money in 100 years, but I see the infrastructure is still falling apart. I don't think the public schools are getting any better, at least not the ones that I went to. And I'm wondering, what exactly is the positive externality that comes with all this spending? What do we have to show for it? And it's, it's, a, it's a good question. It's an open-ended one. And I hope that it leaves you all thinking because I'm not sure what side I come down on when it comes to this government shutdown. I think of it as an inevitability thing, so I don't really see it in a positive or a negative light. To me, it just feels like the natural consequence for a lot of misguided behavior and economic mismanagement and some political corruption. Um, and there are some, some bigger issues here like oversight of the government and actually accounting for everything that they do. They do. Just, just remember this. And we're, we're coming into a break. Just remember this, though. Every single thing that government does, local, state, federal, is on your dime. So when we start talking about little government, big government, just remember, we 
are the piggy bank. We are on the hook for every single thing that they do. Just keep that in mind. We're coming into a break. Please stick with me. We're on The Answer San Diego. This is Riley McBride filling in for Andrea Kay. Nothing like a, a nice rock and roll electric guitar riff. Let me tell you something. As a as an electric guitar player myself, there is maybe nothing more soothing and more fitting for the start of a Friday night, baby. Uh, I just love Friday night so much. I wish I could have this feeling forever. I know that it's fleeting, but that's part of what makes Friday Friday. It's it's special. It's once a week. There's this incredible window where we're coming into the weekend. Work is just ending. It's not over yet, but it's there. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's just a beautiful thing. Um, God is good. I I love this place so much, and I love you all. Another uh, another Southern California native, actually, Rebecca Black. So, um... I hope she's doing okay, by the way. You know, you always got to wonder with, with these artists where they have one or two giant songs and then their career's kind of over. You got to wonder, I mean, what is life like after the thrill is gone? You know, B.B. King wrote about the thrill being gone, and then the Eagles came along and they said, well, what about after the thrill? What happens then? Good question. Um, speaking of the thrill being gone, we got a, a little bit of a consternation, escalation in the nation to talk about because some auto workers, uh, you've probably heard about this UAW strike. Um, you know, cue all the images in your mind of people, you know, with the signs and the slogans and the, and the blow and the, and the horns or whatever. And uh, I don't know. Do you think that that's a triggering sound right now for them? I wonder. Probably. <laughs> They probably can identify what horn is with to which car. So if it's like the car they manufacture, it probably hurts them a little. Yeah, they, they, some guy's like, hey, is that a Kia? No, that's a Hyundai. <laughs> that was a Sonata right there, actually, everybody. Um, the United Auto Workers Union has expanded its strike against General Motors, uh, Stellantis, who makes Jeep, Ram, Chrysler, and then, of course, I think things are going better with Ford. Allegedly, that's the word around the water cooler. I, I don't know. I know this, though. They're going to uh, 20 different states. Wow. Right? That's that's almost half of them. That's pretty good. Um, maybe next time they can go for 40. Uh, and apparently, they're, they're walking out of all 38 different parts distribution centers that are operated by GM and Stellantis. I don't know what Joe Biden is going to do about this. He's uh, obviously very famously a, a pro-union guy. And I, I don't even know how I feel about this because one part of me thinks, well, you know, working conditions are important. And I do want to hear these people out. And, you know, they, they do back-breaking work, by the way. And I, I, I get that. Um, at the same time, they want a four-day work week and a 40% pay increase uh i think we've gone out of the world of uh what is considered reasonable just a thought i don't know but president i can't believe he's the president let's call him the current resident in the oval office uh president just doesn't really feel fitting here he said that he's gonna visit michigan on tuesday and by the way so is trump seems like trump at some point is gonna be uh visiting these striking auto workers i'm not sure exactly what's going on but i gotta give it to trump i mean he's got such uh, a great way of responding to these crises in real time. And I don't know if he's just doing it because he wants the optics or if his heart really does go out to these people. Maybe it's a little bit of both. He is running for, for president again, uh, thankfully. Um, but I do think it is interesting 
because he's uh, he's not necessarily someone who weighs in a whole lot on the union issue per se. It's not top of his mind all the time, but he is an America first guy and he sees American people and he senses that they are in trouble. He senses something's going wrong, uh, and maybe he's uh, he's going to bring in his, his business career and try to cut a deal here because Joe Biden makes deals, but they're not necessarily the best deals. I mean, like, leaving a Marine veteran uh, in Russia and taking Brittany Griner in exchange for the Merchant of Death, if you don't remember that. Uh, Brittany Griner's in the WNBA and doesn't really seem to be fond of America, and instead of uh, rescuing this veteran who was uh, put in the gulag back in 2018 on espionage charges, uh, baselessly, we said we'll take Brittany Griner in exchange for giving back the Merchant of Death. Quite a title, by the way, uh, to give yourself. I, I gotta say, you, you wonder, like, do these criminals have competitions with each other to see who's got the best name? I don't know. It's it's a thought. I don't know. I'm just saying. Anyway, it's speak- a good villain name, for sure. Right? I feel like... to be a supervillain. He's ready to go. Like, imagine you're in a garage somewhere, and you're, you're you know hands are behind your back in the chair with lots of tape and there's tape over your mouth and it's you know you're, you're thinking you're going to get killed and some you know guy from eastern europe walks up and he says okay now we have a uh, merchant of death i mean that's <laughs> that's that's pretty terrifying well then we need to combat that with the merchant of life <laughs> we're holding open auditions by the way at the answer san diego if you want to be the merchant of life uh starting next week look guys i don't know what's going to go on uh apparently this is going to affect inflation because if cars aren't being made we all know how the car market is right now if cars aren't being made if production comes to a grinding halt if 2,000 people are laid off from some ford plant in the middle of kansas which could happen maybe it's not ford um what's likely going to happen well obviously macro model here supply decreases price hikes uh and we're already dealing with price hikes and supply chain issues and on top of that we've still got record high interest rates and those rates can't come down if we're expecting price hikes we're going to get more inflation we're the prices are going to go up uh people are going to have to spend more if they want a vehicle inflation will then probably stay high which means jerome powell can't bring down the interest rates and again this is the longest and highest and most sustained interest rate hike i think we've seen certainly in modern history maybe in all of american history so uh we're all feeling it and with with rates like seven percent no wonder young people aren't buying homes i know kamala harris thinks it's because of climate anxiety but i think it's probably more so to do with the interest rates uh as somebody who would like to one day be a prospective home buyer in the state of california but let's just get back a little bit to this this you know union stuff Apparently, Stellantis made a very, very competitive offer Thursday. Uh, I don't know exactly what their uh, what their take is on this as far as meeting this four-day work week idea. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I like the idea of a four-day work week, but I'm also not asking for one along with a 40, like 40% pay increase. Uh, but Stellantis did say they made a very competitive offer on Thursday that would pay all current full-time hourly employees between $80,000 and $96,000 within four years and seven months uh, and allow for some uh, workforce stability, which is something we're all seeking for you know, right now in Biden's America, is some sense of stability. Things are just changing so much. Things are changing so radically. It feels like we were just a few years ago. The economy was great. Gas prices were low. We were exporting exporting oil and making money off of it isis was completely crushed in the middle east we were getting ready to pull out of afghanistan but we still had a skeleton force on the ground just to back up the afghan forces things were looking a whole lot better at the at the northern border at the southern border you catch my idea here it just feels like our captain the current resident again not president but resident in the white house uh joe biden it just feels like he's asleep at the wheel and i don't want to personally attack him but you you 
what can you expect of a society? What, what is to come when you elect somebody like that? And we see the narrative changing now. We see CNN and we see CNBC and ABC. All of the predictable stations that were propping his campaign up back in 2020 are now catching themselves and saying, wait a minute. Well, we don't know if the... It, we don't know if we could vote for him again or if we could elect him again. And Kamala Harris, by the way, is saying that she's the natural you know, evolution. And now Joe Biden is working a lot and very closely with Gavin Newsom, who's still kind of a mystery, double wrapped in an enigma, grilled and then fried and then grilled again. And I don't know exactly who's going to be the uh, next coalition franchise player for the Democrat Party, but I will say this much. We should remove Joe Biden from office. And more so than anything, it's just about health. It's just about decline. I I saw this, unfortunately, with my father who had cancer. Very young, but I saw the decline come very, very quickly. And obviously, Joe Biden is not a cancer patient. But you can see the cognitive brain function slowly decaying and breaking down. And that is nature running its course. That, that is how it happens. And we see it on the other side of the aisle with Mitch McConnell, and it's just, just as concerning, except Mitch is the minority leader in the Senate, not POTUS. He doesn't have access to the nuke codes. He can't tell the State Department, let's send another $128 million to Ukraine. So there's a, there's a little bit of a different calculus here because of the position itself. And I just understand that. And again, it's sure I can make the policy argument and the ideology argument and the wokeism argument and just about everything, fiscal policy, energy policy, foreign policy. Having said that, it's really just about the health. Sticks, who do you want to see? take his place i mean what do you think about rfk jr sincerely i mean i think he's the most promising candidate that's that's come out of the democrat party in a long time what do you think i i, I agree with you and honestly I, you know kamala scares me michelle they they talk about parachuting and michelle obama that scares me because it's kind of this this dynasty that we don't need we need a kind of clean slate but you know biden it, it is true the decline he, i can't honestly I, and i'm not trying to make a joke or be funny or anything Half the time he's talking, I can't understand what he's talk, what he's saying. So um, it, it's not anyone would be better because there's some that are a little bit more extreme to the left, I believe, like uh, Kamala. But uh, yeah, I think RFK Jr. would be decent. I think decent. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna see eye to eye. He and I are not going to see eye to eye on many things, but there are a couple of things that are very important to me where we do see eye to eye, like getting the government out of social media and misinformation, um, actually talking about people that suffer you know, from vaccine injuries, talking about the full range of effects, good and bad, seen and unseen, intended and unintended, and also talking about this unhinged intel community, which is working with people like the Obamas and the Clintons and the Podestas to do things like illegally spy on people like Trump simply because he poses a threat to the dynasty we're kind of coming down to this weird sort of establishment versus you know anti-establishment movement and it feels a little bit like i I think it's a little too simplified it's a little more complicated than that but we really are getting to a place where there's people that are just pro-regime pro-establishment and there are some people that are just pro the american people their default is not let's just go to the government for help we want to solve our own problems raise our own families work our own jobs live our own lives um and we really want the government to be helpful when they can and where it's necessary but we don't need them to be involved in every single dimension of our lives uh, we really just do not, um, and we can't afford it. Going back to the shutdown, the government, the burn rate right now, they're spending $4 trillion plus just for a single year. We can't go longer than two and a half years without having the threat of another shutdown. That should tell us that we're spending way too much money and uh, on things that we really don't necessarily need, like funding gender education programs in Pakistan. How is that serving the American interest? How is that serving the American people in any real way? 
I don't know. I don't think that it is, but it's costing us. So again, just to remind you, everything the government does is on your dime and mine. All right, everybody, we're coming into the bottom of the segment here, but I do want you to stick around because we've still got a lot to talk about. Again, it's a Friday. I'm feeling good, and we're going to end on some pretty upbeat stuff, so please stick around after the break. This is The Answer San Diego. Riley McBride filling in for Andrea Kay on The Andrea Kay Show. All right, everybody. Well, I'm just seeing a couple of headlines. I'm just going through some stuff. It's very interesting, the kind of news that comes out right now. Because, you know, we're winding down. We are going into the weekend. And so I feel like they sneak in all the really, really big stories right now when people are sort of away from their phones and turning off their devices for that very well-earned break. Uh, Because what better way to sort of uh, bury the story than to literally bury the lead? Um, And a big, big pile of lots of other stuff and influencers and social media and and the tweets and the reels and the talks and the... All the things, but I, I do want to talk about some stuff because we gotta, we're gonna play a clip for you actually. Because I think one of the great, tremendous issues of our time uh, really is figuring out the immigration situation, figuring out political and economic stability all throughout North America, whether it's the United States, Canada, Mexico, uh, and really just figuring out what the heck is going on throughout the Americas in terms of drug cartels and militaries and national guards and families. And we got people apparently coming in through the southern border from China, and we got fentanyl problems, and we got crime problems, and we got Colony Ridge in Texas. But we also have a lot of hardworking people that really are just trying to get away from corruption and violence. Look at the country that Nicolas Maduro is running in Venezuela. More than three and a half million people have fled Venezuela since he took power in 2013, and the average person who stays has lost between 20 and 30 pounds. They call it the Maduro diet. So yeah, if my government was incredibly corrupt and starving me and squeezing me and persecuting me because uh, I'm a Catholic or something, yeah, I, I would understand why somebody would want to try to flee that situation, especially if they can get to a place like the United States where at least on paper they are uh, a, a, a child of God with God-given rights that are supposed to be protected by the Constitution and, and whose interests are supposed to be served by elected officials at the local, state, and federal level. So I understand why people are coming here. If you're, gonna come, if, you're, if, if you're in the Americas, you're on the same continent, you're looking for a way out, there's, there's really one option. And it's, the, it's not Canada. It's not Justin Trudeau. No, no, no. This is America. Pizza, burgers, baseball, hot dogs, freedom, constitution, liberty. Okay. Uh, and hopefully, you'd think what we like to call the American dream. I don't know what's happened to it. I don't know where it's going. I, I feel like a lot of us can't really afford it. We're kind of being priced out of the American dream, um, at least the American dream that our ancestors knew, even just one generation ago. I live in a much different country than the country my parents lived in and the country my grandparents lived in. Um, and it's very weird. It's, it's difficult to relate to them in some ways because of that. Um, it really isn't, but they understand. Things have changed so quickly. And one of those things is immigration. I mean, we've got millions and millions and millions of people that have come overnight. We got Colony Ridge, an entire town, 40 to 80,000 people in uncharted territory in the middle of Texas, taking out loans from the developer. So that way they don't have to go through banks, which require the use of social securities to get loans. So Biden was recently talking about this at a gala. I don't really know at this point why they keep letting him do speaking events. My conspiracy theory is they want him to keep talking so they can make a case against why he shouldn't be the president because he just kind of talks himself into into the ground. So having said that, though, I don't. 
I don't say that happily. And it is really sad. My heart does go out to him, and I am kind of spiteful of Jill Biden for just trotting him out there because she wants the power instead of doing the right thing and, and bringing him back home. Having said that, I do want to play this clip. DJ Sticks, can we hear this? I mean it. First, we put in place policies that process people in a fair and fast way. Second, we're significantly expanding legal pathways for entry so businesses can get the workers they need. Families don't have to wait for a decade to be together. I've also directed my team to make historic increase in the number of refugees admitted from Latin America. People fleeing violence and persecution who simply want their kids to have a better life. Next week, my team will consult with Congress on this plan. Third, we're supporting states and cities that have seen a surge in immigrants. We've developed federal experts and deployed them to help train city workers. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. So federal experts. Um, not sure how well that's working out in New York City where you have people saying please send them back home because we're taxpayers and you're giving all these resources to non-taxpayers and we've been born and raised here, been paying into the systems and working our tails off and we're being squeezed and we're living through what feels like a recession even though all the economic experts at the Treasury Department say, oh no, we're not technically in a recession and inflation is technically decreasing even though it's increasing and it did in August. But here is the interesting thing. I think that it's actually good that we talk about the fact that at least a a good portion of people that are coming up legitimately are, you know, uh, people in need and they could legitimately make refugee claims or asylee claims. And we're supposed to have systems in place in order to do that and handle that. And we do, but we also have immigration courts that are backed up for the next five, ten years. And again, settling all those courts, building out that system, it's all on the taxpayer dime. So there's a lot of different factors to weigh here. And at the same time, it's not really the president's job to just sort of blanket grant a soft amnesty without consulting the people, without going, you know, to, to really any any elected officials besides maybe Congress. It's not really within the president's constitutional purview to do something like this. So set aside just the emotion and talk about from a tactical perspective. Uh, this crisis has gotten so bad. I know that Biden's basically just sort of hoping people give up and go along with it and say, okay, but we really need to think about this long term because we're setting a very, very strange and odd precedent where we're basically saying these train cars full of young single men can come into the country as long as they just say they want more economic opportunity. What's next? Can people from France come here and then get IDs and then become cops in Chicago and then start swaying our elections by voting in them? Like, where does it stop? At some point, if you don't have any borders at all and you don't enforce them, then you don't really have a nation state. And that's a a big political thing. Um, And again, I want to, you know, I want people to understand this situation's complicated. These are human beings. They're children of God. This is a very, very complicated situation. And I'd like to sort of fix these states, if you will, like El Salvador, Ecuador, Honduras, Guatemala. I'd like to actually, ideally, these countries would not be corrupt and we could actually repair and rebuild Latin America and people would just be able to stay in their homes and enjoy their lives. And we could we could try to do something about it. But we know that root causes migration fixes don't always necessarily work. And on some level, people are coming here because they have the opportunity. They see that Biden will give an inch, and so they will take a mile. There are some people who do do think like that and do behave like that. They respond to incentives. They respond to rhetoric. And Biden made it very clear during the previous administration, anyone who cares about border security is quote-unquote xenophobic. That's it. That's that's his, his rhetoric. And what's the result of that? What, what's the, the consequence of that kind of, that kind of talk? Well... People in New York City hotel rooms and luxury rooms that cost $1,000 a night taking selfies and sending them back to their friends back home saying, guys, 
All I had to do was come to the border. They let me into the country on my own recognizance, and they're not really double-checking, and I have a court date five years from now. Come on. And at this point, just you know, sort of go on the other end, we've seen at least 200 people on the international terror FBI watch list come into the country through the southern border, one of whom was only caught because he booked a flight from California to Miami, and TSA caught him. So this is a complicated issue. At the same time, it starts with operational control over the border. And once we have some stability and some control and we have some rule of law and some order down there, then we can decide, you know, at the border who should come in, who should get court dates, what's that going to look like, how can we keep families together, uh, you know, how do we respond to, to you know, massive waves of people. We, we need reinforcements. There's a reason Greg Abbott is finally sending the National Guard down to Texas. There's a reason the DOJ dropped their lawsuit against Arizona for doing something similar by erecting their own little border barrier because this is not sustainable. For all the talk from Biden and the Democrat Party about sustainability, many of their policies are actually unsustainable. And it's, it's chipping away at everything that our founders worked to gave us and everything that our, that our parents and our grandparents and our, and our neighbors that we work for. Everything that it means to be an American is at stake right now. Everything that makes us Americans, the rule of law, a, a Judeo-Christian moral framework in the public square, not just in your home, but everywhere in society. Freedom, constitutional law, no taxation without representation, separation of powers, checks and balances. Everything that makes this country America, that makes this place exceptional, is up for grabs and it's being eroded. It's being, it's being undermined. And I don't think that this is necessarily intentional on Biden's end because I don't really know how present he is in the current moment as far as his brain function and cognitively and his awareness. Having said that, that's probably why they're looking for the next candidate, and that's why 2024 is going to be very interesting because while Biden is sort of bumbling around and John Fetterman is wearing hoodies in the Senate, Trump is out there, you know, talking to, to people who are on strike, saying, I just want to hear you guys out and give you a chance and try to bring both sides back to the table. So we got one person who's a peacemaker, and then we got an incumbent who's really been a lame duck since before day one, since long before day one. People are just starting to change their narrative now about Biden, but we should have been hearing this long before he was even ever on the ballot in 2020. All right, everybody, that gives us something to look forward to with 2024, though, right? Which is just around the corner, and so is the weekend. Thank you so much, everybody. It's been wonderful. It always is. Uh, And I'll be seeing a lot more of you all uh, lately in the near future. So, again, this is Riley McBride. You can find me on X. You can find me on Truth. You can find me on all the socials. Please do. Uh, And go give, uh, if you can, One American News a a quick shout-out, because I do work as a producer also for Tipping Point with Kara McKinney over at One American News, and they're a big part of this family as well. So... Everybody, thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend. Please get some rest. Put the news down for a second. Put, turn your phones off. Go be with your family and your friends. Do something fun. Go learn something. Uh, and we'll see you back next week. Let me tell you something, everybody. Psych! I'm back! Never went away. I had you. I had you. You thought. You thought wrong. Psych! <laughs> I'm back. One more segment. We got one more segment, everybody. Please, just give me a, just a few more mo- moments, okay? Because we have uh, another, another member here of the family, Mr. Russell Brand, who says, quote, Big tech plays the judge, the jury, and the executioner in our, in our country. And I really do think... On some level, that's true. There's a reason 
that the uh, George Soros Foundation is partnering with 22 other groups right now to form the Press Forward Coalition to buy up local media stations around the country, not just in English, but also in Spanish, um, because what better way to control the narrative than to literally buy the machines and the people that make the narrative? It's a, it's a classic plan right out of the Soviet playbook. Uh, we're five minutes away from the gulags coming back. I will see you there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what they're going to get me on, but at some point, uh, the thought police will come to my house, and they'll grab the Bible, and they'll grab the Constitution, and they will, uh, they'll throw me in prison. I'll, I'll be turning big rocks into little rocks with a hammer in the hot sun um, because I fought the law in a law one. But as they say in the Soviet Union, you pretend to work, uh, I pretend to pay you. What do you think about the power of an accusation, DJ Sticks? I mean, is it possible to ruin somebody's career with an accusation? Think about the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp story for a minute. Let's just recall. Is it possible to really tank somebody's reputation with just one accusation? Yes, for sure. I mean, that was a good example you gave. But if you don't like the person that has the allegations against them then you're going to believe them and the i i think there's even a better example of that with, with president trump yep the allegations so all the liberals all my friends and stuff before any of the evidence is out oh he's guilty oh look see i told you like just they think being the allegations are true just as soon as they come out they go look i told you see yep. so yes well, and it's very interesting because I think people see indictment and it's a big word. It sounds very, very, it sounds very strong, but here's the thing. You think about like the Fannie Willis situation in Georgia right now in Fulton County. Really what happens is a DA calls a jury together and says, I think I have evidence of some crime being committed. What do you guys think? And then the 12 executioners, who may or may not be partisan in one way or the other, sit there and say, okay, yeah, it turns out that we think you do have something. These are 12 presumably laymen who don't really understand the law or what's going on. Um, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But really all that indictment says is some partisan Soros-backed DA who campaigned on a personal vendetta against Trump just got 12 people in one of the most blue-leaning counties in Georgia to basically say, yeah, my political opponent is probably a bad guy and he probably did it. And of course, they also came out on the website before they even called the grand jury in for a vote and already said, we're going to indict him. And then they removed it from the website because the grand jury had not been called in to vote yet, but it seems like they were sort of nudging the executioners in one particular direction uh, because they could have accidentally put something online saying, we're not going to recommend indictment, but no, no, no. They said, we're going to recommend indictment. And I'm sure that that had some level of influence on the people who convened two hours later. I just don't know what level of influence. And I don't know what kind of level of influence is going on right now with the uh, Russell Brand accusations. But it, it is very interesting to me because YouTube was incredibly hawkish about demonetizing all of the content on his channel simply after the accusations were made because maybe they're true. Maybe not. No charges. No indictments, no trial date, nothing yet. But accusations were enough for YouTube to demonetize his content and say, no more, we're turning off the faucet. No more income from this platform. And I'm, I'm, I hope other platforms do not do the same. I think he's going to be fine on Rumble. Um, but I do wonder, are these accusations really enough to destroy his legacy, his life, to poison the well against him? Because at some point it feels like there's the justice system which has got lawyers, prosecution, defendant, innocent until proven guilty. At the same time, there's another justice system that sort of runs parallel to that, and that one is the court of public opinion, 
where judges might feel inclined to make certain decisions or issue certain rulings simply because of the social sentiment that is in the air. Meaning, Officer Derek Chauvin did not kill George Floyd. He was there when George Floyd died. But the anti-police rhetoric was so hot that you had people basically saying on TV, well, Chauvin might as well have done it. And now he's a convicted person. He is in prison. Not because he actually killed George Floyd, but because the well was poisoned against him. The political media machine came out with hit piece after hit piece and said, this person is evil. It was racist, white supremacist, attributing motive, even though there was no proof and no evidence to suggest that. But again, the accusation itself is the punishment. The process is the punishment, more so than anything. Because now, Brand presumably has to play defense. That's the thing. You are innocent until proven guilty, but at the same time, when you're on the receiving end of an accusation, not so much in a court, he doesn't have to prove his innocence in court, but he does have to sell his innocence to the public. And that's a completely different animal. And you never really know what people are going to think. Maybe they just don't like him as an actor. Maybe they don't like his political views. Maybe they don't, they don't like that he's changed so much as a person. Or maybe they do. But you never really know where people are going to fall, what side they're going to come down on. And these two sort of parallel justice systems, the courtroom and the court of public opinion, they kind of intersect sometimes and go back and forth, particularly with, you know, really, really trying cases. Think like the O.J. Simpson case where there's clearly socio-political elements that are influencing behavior. And in those kind of rare situations, you have to sequester a jury so that way they can't contact the outside world. I'm not saying we're going to do that here. I'm not even sure if there's going to be a trial. And that's the point. They demonetized his platform, his channel on YouTube, before we even know whether or not there's a there there. And it's incredibly terrifying because who's next? I mean, God forbid, what if one day the mob shows up at my house with a pitchfork and says, we think you did something, and then next thing I know it, I lose my job, or I lose access to health care, or I get debanked, like one of the January 6th defendants, where B of A is just going to the government saying, here's a list of everybody who bought a gun or was in the city between January 5th and January 7th. We're just going to volunteer all this data to you, and you can prosecute people as you will, or persecute them as you will. Um, so, again, it, it's a very weird situation we're getting into where this sort of uh, puritanism is coming back, and it's like, a, oh, well, we think he's a witch. And again, I know the witch hunt comparison, it, it, it can be kind of tiresome, but it really is just so textbook. All the us versus them, you know, us versus the other, dehumanization, it's all coming out. And Russell Brand's already in hot water because he's close with Joe Rogan, he's close with Jordan Peterson. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.